0: Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. We exist to help people grow in Christ, share the gospel, and serve the community. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Romans chapter 8, and today we'll look at verses 18 through 30. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 30. I want to say this about the book of Romans before we go and dive and start studying through the scriptures. Um, Romans chapter 8, many believe, many believe the, the book of Romans as a whole is the magnum opus, the capstone of the Apostle Paul's writings. We know the Apostle Paul who wrote a large portion of the New Testament, has written some beautiful letters to churches. But if there was one letter that serves as the epitome of his writing, his best work It would be Romans, and in particular, if we go in a little deeper, the highlight of everything that Paul has written, most scholars would believe lies in Romans chapter 8. You know the famous scripture in Romans chapter 8, for we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes, right? We know this, and we'll look at this today, but Romans chapter 8 in particular is, is the capstone, the highlight, the magnum opus of all of Paul's writing. If there was one chapter in the whole Bible that you had to read to understand from Genesis to Revelation, it will all be found in Romans chapter 8. And so today, we want to look at this passage and see how even that, this one passage who can explain for us the totality of the law and the gospel, how it is packed full of hope and so we as Christians can go into any season of life and still have hope and here's what he says in Romans chapter 8 verses 18 through 30 here's what Paul says he says his crazy statement in verse 18 it is it is unbelievable what he says for he says this for I consider meaning I've thought about this long and hard for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. I think it's worth us reading that one more time. Romans eight eighteen says this, and you can put this in any context, no matter what you're experiencing today, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. There are certain things in life that you can compare. People compare. I don't think it's really a comparison. People compare LeBron to Michael Jordan. There's no comparison there. And if you're wondering who I'm talking about, there's no no comparison to MJ. There's no comparison to him. There's no comparison to coming to America 1 versus coming to America 2. There's no comparison to that. One is is far greater and far superior than the other. And he's saying even if you can make a difference between how great coming to America 1 is versus coming to America 2, what we experience now pales in comparison to the glory that's going to come later. So this is going to help us put our hope in, in its proper context. Verse 19 says, For the creation eagerly awaits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay and to the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation... The entire universe has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the spirit, the Holy Spirit, that is, as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now, in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope because who hopes for what he sees? Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience verse 26 in the same way the spirit also helps us in our weaknesses because we do not know what to pray for as we should but the good news is that the spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings and he who searches our hearts that's God knows the mind of the spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God and here's your favorite passage in the whole Bible We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined. Here's what he predestined all of us to do who are in Christ. He predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son so that we would be the firstborn, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, predetermined, he also called and those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that we get an opportunity today to study your word, God, and be encouraged by it. We, we pray today, Father, that um, the sermon would communicate the hope that is in your word. And so, Father, I just pray for your people today that we would grow and that we will be transformed, that we will be changed, that we would be made more like your son Jesus. And so, Father, my prayer is that you would hear our prayer, that, that Lord, that you would be with us today, God, as we study your word, that we will be changed and transformed. God, I pray for your people today who've gathered to hear your word, who's gathered for fellowship and community today to worship together. Father, I pray that we are radically changed today, God. I pray that Whatever it is that we're going through, whatever it is that we face in this life, God, I pray that we can face it with hope after today, God. I I pray that we would understand, Father, that because your son got out of the grave, it changes everything. And so, Father, I thank you today that we won't just be hearers of your word, we, we will be doers. I pray, God, that we don't just sit back and listen, but that we participate in what you're saying to us today. And so, Father, we thank you. We pray your son, Jesus, be made known today. We pray your son, Jesus... Will be lifted up today. We pray this prayer in your Son Jesus' name. The people of God said, amen. amen. You may be seated in God's presence. My sermon title today is Hope in All Seasons. Hope in All Seasons. As we alluded to at the outset before we read the scripture, there is a a movement that is happening in, in the church and in Christianity as a whole. It is no, is no secret that many people are leaving the church. It's no secret that many people are leaving churches in droves. And, and I am, I'll put my cards on the table, I am an apologist for the local church. I believe that the church is God's hope. For the world so whether people leave the church or not jesus made a promise that the gates of hell would never prevail over his church and so i i want to say that as to to those who are part of a church those who are following jesus those who understand that you can't have christ without having his body i want to give you hope that no matter what the world thinks about the church no matter what people who have left the church has to say about the church it does not change the fact that God's plan A for the world would happen will happen through the local church. You are part of the best thing that's ever happened to the world. We are the hope of the world. No matter what people feel about us, no matter what people think about us, God has given this hope to his church. But but I want to address this idea that people are leaving the faith and people people are leaving the church. I, I think the question that lies beneath. The exodus that is happening is that people are asking themselves, because once you leave church, you eventually leave God, right? right? And once you leave God, then, then subsequently a person will leave the church. You can't have one without the other because they're one and the same. If, if, if we are the body of Christ, Jesus is the head. And so you can't have a body with a head detached from it. So you can't have one without the other. And so what what lies beneath this exodus, I think, is a loss of hope in the church. But I think what, what people are really asking themselves, is being a Christian really worth it? Is being a Christian really worth it? Have you ever been trying to live for Jesus, doing all that you could to serve him, to follow him, to have a relationship with him? And even if you didn't verbalize this question in your heart, you ask yourself, is it really worth it? If you are honest, you will say that you've had some points where you're like, God, I don't, I don't know how much longer I can take this. I don't know if I can keep following you in the manner that I'm following you because I keep experiencing this disappointment. Well verse 18 today is one of the most astounding verses in all of scripture. It is one of the most shocking, one of the most jaw-dropping uh, scriptures in all of the Bible. And Paul says the sufferings of this present time are not even worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Paul even puts his own suffering in its place. He puts his own suffering in its pop in his proper context. What Paul is trying to communicate to us is that we can remain hopeful through everything we see and everything we experience because there is a promise from God that this life is not all that there is. If this life is all that there is, then you are right. There is no reason and no need for any of us to have hope, but Paul says what we're experiencing in this present time is not even worth comparison comparison, comparing to what we're going to reveal, what is going to be revealed when God comes back. What he's saying is this, yes, I'm going through stuff now, but when God comes and he reveals his glory, what I'm going through now will seem like nothing in comparison to the joy that God is bring it with him he puts it in its present Context: The the writer of this letter, the apostle Paul, is writing to the church in Rome, and he himself has already experienced so much pain and disappointment. If you read Romans uh, chapter 11 or chapter 12, Paul talks about his experiences. He says, I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten. I've been hungry. I've been left at sea. I've been abandoned by my friends. I've been thrown in prison. And yet and still, the man that went through all of that says that this present suffering is not worth comparing to what's going to come in the future he puts his suffering in the right perspective paul knew that if jesus got out of that grave it changes everything that that if the, the resurrection actually happened, if the tomb is empty, if Jesus who hung on the cross, who suffered and shed his blood and died for my sins, if he got out of the grave, if the stone, if the tomb was already empty, then I know that I can have hope because if he has been raised, I will eventually one day be raised with him. That this life is not all that there is. If his path was from suffering to glory, then I am expected to follow that same path. If I experience and hope to experience the glory of God in the future, I must follow the same path as my master. So if I'm going to experience glory later, i got to have some suffering now. Suffering is a part of the Christian story. I know we don't like to talk about suffering, but here's the good news for us. As believers, our suffering is purposeful. There's purpose in your disappointment. there's, There's purpose in your pain. In the life in Christ that we have now, although it is good, we experience what others cannot experience. We get to have the peace that surpasses all understanding. We actually can have joy. If everything around us is going to H-E-double hockey sticks in a handbasket, we can have this joy because our joy is not predicated on what goes on around us. It's predicated on what's happening on the inside of us. That that we can have joy, that we can have peace, that that we have this love of God. We, We have this forgiveness that no matter what we go through, we have these intangible things. Because of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, we get to experience peace and joy like no one else can, no matter what happens around us. Some of us, although the pandemic has been tough and it's been challenging and we've had to do things that we were not accustomed to, some of us never lost hope. Some of us have still had peace in the midst of it. When people wanted to give up and people didn't know what was happening and people didn't know if the world was coming to an end, we as Christians, some of us sat back and just enjoyed life as usual. And and if you experience peace in hard times and in hard contexts, if you still experience joy and love and all of those wonderful things, I want to tell you today that that was just a small foretaste of what God is going to bring in the future. Our our joy, our peace that we experience now is like a little appetizer when you're at a five-star restaurant. It's like a little bit of appetizer. We would go to this restaurant in Miami called Joe's Stone Crab. You might have heard me talk about it before, but I love this place. I love this place I love this place we would drive almost four hours just to go to this restaurant and what what makes it so wonderful is not just the main course but they set you up so nice with the appetizers they bring all kind of bread to your table this is before we was gluten free and stuff they bring all this bread to your table it's, it's beautiful I mean the bread is so good and they bring it out and it's warm it's, it's amazing they have this good butter that goes along with the bread it is amazing And the bread is good. I I could get full off of the bread. But what I know is that the bread and the goodness of it is just an indicator of how good the main course is going to be when it gets to my table. And what we experience now is just like that. It is just a shadow, a foretaste, just, just something to whet our appetite to the main course comes. And this is what Paul is saying. All of these things that we are going through in this life is just setting us up for what God is going to do in the future. And so Paul even says that what we go through now, although it may feel like a long time in its duration, it's really not a long time. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. Here's what Paul says, 2 Corinthians 4, 17 for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison here he is again talking about comparison and here's what he says this is a light momentary affliction, any suffering that you deal with, pain, persecution, sickness, hunger, disappointment, heartbreak, even death are all just an indicator of the glory that's going to be revealed. And although it may seem that like our seasons, our difficult seasons last a long time, it is a short, momentary thing. It is like shorter than a second. We're gonna feel like it was nothing when his glory is revealed to us. He puts it in its proper context. Our suffering, he says, is preparing for us something greater. Our suffering is not just preparing us for something in the future, though. It is also working something in us now. It's not just wait, wait till we get to heaven and we're just going to bear up and wait till we get to heaven and, oh, Lord, I'm just going to have a woeful existence. No, when we suffer, it is working something in us, not just for the future, but it's actually doing something in us now. And so we as followers of Jesus have, have a different approach to our sufferings. We know this, Romans 5, 3 through 5 says this, for we can rejoice in our sufferings because our suffering produces endurance and our endurance produces character and our character produces hope and so everything we go through is producing something else in us and as we suffer we are growing in Christ and it is making us more like Jesus he puts our suffering in his proper context some of you don't you don't know this many of you don't know this but I was a, I, I was an athlete in high school and I thought I was decent depends on who you ask depending on who you ask. Um, I played ball, and um, my, my senior year of high school, we were really good. Um, but I'll tell you, it was the culmination of things that happened before. Um, there's a group of us guys, because I grew up in a small town, there's a group of us guys who went from elementary all the way to high school together. And we played ball from little kids together all the way through middle school all the way to high school. And so we worked at it for a long time, but I got to high school. Our team was terrible. Our team was absolutely terrible. We're bad. Um, I remember one game, this team beat us 90 to 40. It beat us by 45 points. It's bad. I remember this. I was in ninth grade. This is a varsity team. Nobody beat me that bad, but we were, there was the, this was the varsity team. I was in ninth grade. Varsity was, was terrible. And any, any young man, kid, or young lady, actually, who plays ball, you know, at some point when you get to your junior senior year, the expectations that you would play on the, the varsity team, right? And uh, got to 11th grade, and 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 that nucleus of guys that I talked about, that we all went to elementary school together and played ball together, we finally were all on the same varsity varsity team. And, and our town was a basketball town. We weren't good at football, really. We weren't good at any other sports. We were really really good at basketball. We had a history in basketball. In the state of Florida, and so we got there. 11th grade year, we were, we were amazing, but we got disqualified because some people had some bad grades and stuff like that. Whatever, um, but then the preseason came for our senior year, and um, everybody knew what was going to happen. We we literally had a plan to destroy absolutely everybody on our schedule. We we knew we were going to destroy everybody, but but we didn't just get to start playing in the season. There was a preseason, and so we spent the whole summer working and training. We we had a we had a coach who played pro bat who played NBA ball and he was difficult to to to, to, he was a difficult coach he was hard on us man we went through so much in the preseason, so much training so much just exertion and so much running and sit-ups and push-ups and jumping over stuff and in the hot sun and in the hot gym with no AC and most of those times I didn't feel like going through it most of those times I really didn't want to deal with it I didn't want to go to practice after school I just wanted the season to start so we can play the games but I couldn't start the season unless I prepared first and we went through all of that sweat all of that investment all of that that pain all of that fouling each other and being rough and and being and and trying to create this mindset we were doing all of this stuff which was preparing us for the season to come and the season started and we did just what we expected we ran through everything everybody on our schedule and then when it came time to go to the final four i remember it like it was yesterday when the clock struck zero against university christian school in jacksonville everybody ran out of stands everybody celebrated and we cut down the nets because we were on our way to lakeland where they played the state final four and here's what i want you to know when i was cutting those nets i had no recollection of what happened in the preseason all of that pain, all of that sweat, all of them suicides we were running in the gym, all of that running outside, all of them push-ups, all of them sit-ups, it was a light, momentary affliction. I don't remember the pain, but I do remember the joy to this day of cutting down those nets. And what I'm telling you now is, what we're going through is a preseason, which is preparing us to be victorious at one state in time when Jesus comes back. And here's the thing, we knew as a basketball team that we had a chance to be pretty good, but there were no guarantees guarantees. guarantees that we will be victorious and what I'm telling you is there is a guarantee because the victory has already been won and all we are doing is preparing for what is to come so going through all of that was worth it when I put it in the context of the joy and the reward that was coming at the end and this is what he's trying to communicate to us he's saying all that say this that suffering does not have the final word Let me put it to you more plainly. Your situation does not have the final word. So all the things that we go through is a type of frustration, a type of groaning that happens to us. These things that come, they frustrate us. Frustrate us so bad at times that we, we want to cry because we want it to be over with. And this, this is a frustration that we deal with because we live in a fallen world. And so the Bible characterizes that frustration as groaning, characterizes it as groaning because sin has entered into the world. There is a groaning because sin has entered into the world. There is pain and there is suffering that we have to deal with. And we wait for the reward that is coming at the end, but we wait with hopeful anticipation. Because we wait with hope because we are weak. It's not easy to do this, but the gospel provides us with hope. And so I wanna look at threefold hope today. I wanna look at hope of a couple things. Here's my points. Number one, we'll look at the hope of creation. Number two, we'll look at the hope of the Christian. And thirdly, we'll look at the hope of the counselor. Hope of creation, hope of the Christian. the hope of the counselor now the counselor is the Holy Spirit but I wanted to keep my seeds together so I had to find another name of the Holy Spirit it goes by counselor hope of the Christian I'm sorry hope of creation hope of the Christian and the hope of the counselor and we are not the only ones who are hopeful about what is going to come the creation is hopeful as well look at verses 19 through 22 it says this for the creation The universe eagerly awaits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope. That the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. He is talking about creation, non human creation sun, stars, the seas, the mountains, all of God's non human creation. Even they await and hope for the fulfillment of God's plans and purposes for humanity. And Paul here says the creation waits. It's almost like he personifies creation. He almost says it like creation has a personality, but we know that's not unfamiliar because when we look at the Psalms or we look at the prophets, they always describe creation as either singing, the rivers are clapping, or the mountains are singing, or the hills are breaking forth in song, and the trees are clapping their hands. It always describes creation as doing some type of human activity, and what Paul says is this creation is actually awaiting. The creation is actually groaning in anticipation for what is to come for Christians and so when we talk about this word groaning what it really means is there's an inner frustration that's happening you ever felt frustrated before You you ever felt frustrated you ever been so frustrated that that just tears almost came to your eyes you you almost been so frustrated that you didn't just cry but you got out of character guess it's just me I'm the only one that's been frustrated so you just went through all the 2020 unfrustrated unbothered huh But creation is even frustrated. Creation is groaning. We look at hurricanes, earthquakes, tornadoes. We look at Hurricane Katrina. We go back several years and think about Hurricane Andrew. We see creation is out of whack because that's not what God intended for creation to be. Do you know that God didn't intend for there to be earthquakes? Did you know that God did not intend for there to be hurricane season in Florida? Thank God that we survived it again. That, that, that tornadoes were not God's original intention in the garden when he made everything. That, that he did not intend for it to be this way, but because of man's fall and sin, it threw everything off course. Notice how sin just didn't affect Adam personally, but it affected everything around him because sin has far-reaching effects and far-reaching implications when we sin and so we see all of those things there's a reason why the creation is groaning when we go back to Genesis chapter 3 after the fall after man's sin God told him the ground is cursed because of you you will eat by by means of painful labor it will produce thorns and thistles for you creation will not do what it's expected to be done because you've sinned and thrown everything off of its order and so the creation is groaning the Creation is longing to be back in the place that God originally intended for it to be. Creation was supposed to be peaceful, joyous, a paradise of sorts. And so creation is even waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. Think about this creation, the universe. He says it has been subjected to futility. It means subjected to nothingness, emptiness, that the effects of the fall has touched the entire universe. God says God himself subjected the creation, subjected the universe to futility and frustration because of the sin of humanity. He subjected the universe. I have a question. I have a cultural concern and a cultural concern that I need to address with my congregation. If God says he subjected creation, if he subjected the universe, why are so many people talking about what the universe gives? you so somehow it's become a cultural phenomenon to give all credit and honor to the universe even among some christian folks i see you on social media talking about the universe that that, that's just how the universe works that the universe gives you what you put into it put it out there in the universe so it can manifest itself but, but how is that possible when we see that God says, I subjected the universe. The universe can't give you anything. It's been subjected under the authority of God. And some of you are short circuiting yourself because you keep going to the universe instead of going to the creator of the universe. You're worshiping the creature rather than, the, worshiping the creation rather than the creator. But, but the universe itself is subjected to the one who has authority over it. The universe can't give you nothing. God has not called us to worship the creation. You're worshiping the gift, not the gift-giver. You go into the middle man when God is the plug. But when he says, I subject it to futility, he even puts it in a context of hope. Because what he said in Genesis, before he pronounced that, he told him that the seed, that the heel of the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. The seed of the woman is Jesus. He would crush the head of the serpent. When did he crush it? He crushed it when he went to the cross and died for our sins and rose out of the grave, defeating sin and death. And so we have victory in Jesus. And so at some point, he even made a hope to creation that things will be made new some point in the future so even when he subjected it to futility he did it in the context of hope and it says that the whole creation is waiting for the sons of God to be revealed here's what creation is doing creation is stretching its neck with anticipation waiting for the sons of God to be revealed what he means by that is this the creation is waiting for the Christians to become who they're supposed to be to who they're supposed to become he's waiting for for God to come back and transform us and make us new. When He does it to us, then the creation knows it's a signal for it to be transformed as well. And so the creation is groaning with labor pains, waiting in anticipation. Please, somebody, free us. Please, somebody, take this corruption away. Somebody, please stop these hurricanes and these earthquakes and these natural disasters. We are waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. It's like wo- a woman in labor pains. A woman in labor pains. He says this about it. And we know that a woman is in labor um, and she has pain, but her pain is in a proper context. This is what's happening to creation. We know something is happening, we can see it growing. can a woman can feel it, she can see her body changing, but she can have hope in this pain because she knows that it's gonna give birth to something eventually. And this is what creation is doing. It is just groaning with pains and labor, waiting for something else to be fulfilled and for something else to, become for, to come forth. And what they're waiting for is the sons of God to be revealed. And let me say this. Let me give this to you. We oftentimes think because we watch the movies and we're on social media that at the end of days, the earth is going to be annihilated and we're just going to fly up to heaven and this earth will be no more. But what if I told you that God's plan is not to annihilate the earth but to transform it? His plan is to transform it, not annihilate it. Yes, we will go up, but guess what happens when we go up to meet him in the air? We're coming back down. (laughs) What? I'm not just be up in the clouds floating? Be right here on earth, but the earth will be far different. There'll be no more pollution, there'll be no more sickness, there'll be no more cancer, there'll be no more disease. Just be one peaceful place, creation knows that the creation is groaning, waiting for that day to come. So the creation has hope. The creation is not the only thing that has hope. There's also hope for Christians. Look at verses 23 to 25. It says this, not only that, but we ourselves who have the spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope because who hopes for what he sees? Now we hope for what we do not see. We eagerly wait for it with patience. And what it's saying is this, is that we await our adoption the redemption of our bodies at the moment of conversion. God brought us into his family. We are God's adopted sons and daughters. And so when you think adoption, don't think, okay, the natural child versus the adopted child. No, when God adopted us it is just like we are his natural children. We get all the benefits of being in God's family and what they're saying is we are waiting the anticipation the redemption of our bodies we are completely adopted we will be as we are as adopted now as we will ever be however our adoption is not full and final until the return of Christ when we come and get our glorified redeemed bodies and we are just like he is God's plan is to make us just like his son but even we eagerly anticipate that day to happen and so we have frustrations and disappointments our groaning is just an end Indication for us that things are not the way that they should be but there's also a hopeful side that says things aren't the way they should be however we know that they will get better yeah. and so even in our frustration our frustration ain't just completely negative our frustration is even hopeful when you get frustrated your frustration your frustration with your disappointment your frustration with your shortcomings Your frustration with your own sin is just an indication that things are not the way they should be, but help is on the way. Your frustration is just communicating to you, yes, things are not the way they should be, but at some point things will be the way they should be. Your frustration even means something. Every time you get frustrated, that should be an indication to you, yes, things are not the way that they should be, however... God is coming to make them better. So even your frustration with your day-to-day life, even your frustration when you make the same mistake over and over again is an indication that things are not the way they should be. However, if we keep our hope in the one that is to come, things will be as they should be. Here's what Dr. Eugene Peterson said about this same passage. She says, waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging, but the larger we become, the more joyful our expectancy. The bigger a woman, the the more a woman grows. Let me not say bigger. to The more a woman grows in her pregnancy, the more it's an indication for her of what is about to happen. Her joy can increase because she knows at some point this pain will end. And this is what he's saying. So even we, have hope in our waiting but the main point of our hope is this here's how you know we can have hope because we have the holy spirit and here's the focus of the message today the holy spirit is the indicator for us that things at some point are going to be better the holy spirit is the down payment it says the spirit is the first fruits That means it's the down payment. It is is the deposit. It is the stamp that lets us know that that things are the way they are, but at some point things are going to get better. The Holy Spirit is the the down payment. It's the beginning of the process. It's a foretaste of the future. The Spirit is actually what connects us with the not yet and the already. The the Spirit lets us know that that we are already saved as we're ever going to be, but not yet quite how we're going to be. The the Spirit is what keeps us saved. The Spirit is what holds us. It's the deposit, and we have to live in this tension if we have the Holy Spirit and know that the Spirit is there as a deposit, but it's also there as an indication that we can have hope. When God gave us the Holy Spirit at our salvation, at the moment of uh, of our conversion, we knew at that point that everything that God has promised is coming to pass, and the Spirit is an indication and a down payment for that. Some of you didn't grow up in the 80s, so you're not familiar with layaway. But whenever you couldn't afford something, right then, you put it on layaway. That could have been clothes. That could have been toys. That could have been anything. Man, back in the day, J.C. JCPenney, Kmart, all of these places, Sears, all of these places, you could do layaway. And layaway was this. I'm just going to put something down on it. But what I put down on it is an indication that I'm coming back to paid in full. And the Holy Spirit is that down payment that lets us know that the son is coming back and he's going to bring the fullness of what was guaranteed to us. The Holy Spirit is a, is a game changer for us. And no matter how much we have this tension, we must wait well in our weakness. And we have the Holy Spirit to help us. And so the last thing I to look at is the hope of the counselor, the hope of the counselor. We have the hope of creation, hope of the Christian, but now we want to see the hope of the counselor. Verses 26 to 27 says this. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses because we don't know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes For us, with inexpressible groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Spirit doesn't just bring us counsel and comfort in our suffering, he also brings assurance in our faith. And I want to give you this, so important. Part of our weakness in our experience as Christians, as believers, is that oftentimes, We don't know what to pray and how to pray. Sometimes we pray, and we pray with a heart that says, I'm not sure that God actually heard my prayer. And we pray that way sometimes because we don't see the result or the outcome that we pray for. And so sometimes we feel like if we pray rightly or said the thing we want to say to God in the right way, that maybe he'd be more inclined to respond. And sometimes we even struggle with the inability to discern how we should pray for a thing. Is this God's will and should I be praying for it or should I not be praying for this thing? Should I be praying for this or should I not be praying for this? Is this God's will so maybe I should just leave this alone and not pray for it? Well, here's the thing. The Spirit solves all of this because the Spirit prays for us. It intercedes for us in our weakness. This is one of the greatest encourage, encouragements to pray in all the Scripture. Verse 26 should assure us that no matter how we pray or how effective we think our prayers are, the Spirit comes in and the Spirit helps us in our praying. It helps us. It intercedes for us. It communicates what we cannot communicate. It says because we don't know what to pray for as we should, the Spirit Himself intercedes for us within inexpressible groanings and so the spirit is feeling what we feel but the spirit knows how to communicate our feelings better than we do this is so good. You ever been trying to pray and you're like, I just wish I knew how to say this to God. And maybe if I said this to God rightly, He would hear me. Or maybe if I prayed a little bit louder and a little bit longer, maybe God will hear me a little bit better. Well, the Spirit says, no matter how loud or how quiet you pray, no matter how short or how long you pray, no matter how joyful you pray, or no matter frustrated you are when you pray, whatever your feeling is and whatever your words are, I will take those words and communicate it perfectly to the father on your behalf that's a beautiful promise if you've ever prayed something and you were not sure that God understood you or if God felt your pain the spirit says because I live in you I'm going to intercede on your behalf and say just what you wanted to say and the way you were trying to communicate it that's a beautiful promise To know that on one end, Jesus loves to intercede for me. We learned that a couple weeks ago, that Jesus is defending me, that Jesus is going and pleading on my behalf to the Father. And on the other side, the Spirit is communicating my words perfectly to the Father. That's a beautiful promise that you don't have to pray perfectly or you don't have to be some prayer warrior with some elaborate prayers. No, the Spirit helps us and intercedes for us in our weakness. You ever been so weak, you didn't even have the words to say to God. The Spirit says, I'll take those feelings And I'll communicate it perfectly to the Father. If I had to put this in the right words, the Spirit doesn't just perfectly communicate our words. He perfectly communicates our hearts. The Spirit doesn't just perfectly communicate our words. He perfectly communicates our hearts. That's crazy. That's mind-blowing to know that when I pray, God responding to me is not predicated on the perfection of my prayers because the spirit is praying perfectly how I should pray. And God is hearing him. The spirit knows just how to communicate to God. The spirit is beautiful in that way. So the next time you pray, you don't have to pray with an anxiety. You don't have to pray and worry about whether God will hear you or not because the spirit is working on your behalf. God knows just how broken you are and God knows just how desperately you need what you pray for because the spirit has communicated to God in the perfect way. That's beautiful. And God receives it because God knows the hearts of us. God knows our hearts, but he also knows the mind of the spirit. And lastly, I want to look at this. The hope in God's plan. There's hope in God's plan. Romans 28 through 30. Here's what it says. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters and those he predestined he also called and those he called he also justified and those he justified he also glorified and here's what it, what we need to know in the midst of our suffering God is working in accordance with his own plan and purpose no matter where you are in your life no matter how far you think you are away from going where you thought you should be going no matter what you're experiencing in this life if you are in Christ you have the guarantee that God's plan is not thrown off course God's plan is still in effect God's purposes are still going forward and so you can rest right where you are knowing that if you are in Christ and Christ is in you then whatever you're experiencing no matter how far you think you're away from where you thought you should be God has you right where he wants you his plan is still working in your life because ultimately god's plan is not for you to achieve all your dreams god's plan is for you to be more like his son did you know that, that that everything that is happening to us if we are in christ is happening so we can be made a little more like jesus this is what it means that all things are working together for the good of those who love god the good the things that would make us more like Jesus. But there's a qualifier. Everybody says this, even non-Christians know Romans 8.28. But there's something that said it's interesting, it's it's real interesting, it's so complex. It says that all things work together for the good of those who love God. It doesn't say all things work together for the good of everybody. It says those who love God So the qualifier to this assurance is for people who love God. If you love Jesus, then all things are working together for your good. But the qualifier is that you have to love him, that, that we have to be in a love relationship with him. It doesn't just it's not a blanket promise for anybody who says it. I see celebrities quote this. I see people who are not following Jesus quote this. I see all kinds of people quoting Romans 8:28. but it is for those who actually love God who can rest in this assurance. It is a Christian promise. It is a promise for those who follow Jesus. It is for those who have been called by God and who have responded to his call. And the call is this, that we will at one point or one day, we will be made just like the son. He predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. And here's what I want to say to you finally, that our suffering is serving this one main purpose. And that's to make us more like Jesus. Jesus is the first The firstborn, he is the first of what we will eventually become. And I don't want you to think outwardly. I want you to think inwardly. When he says his. Aim is to make us more like his son. He's not saying that we will look like Jesus of Nazareth from the outside. But more importantly, we will look like him on the inside. Here's what it says, 1 John 3 and 2, and I'm done. It says this, dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. Ultimately, we will have the nature and the character of God, of his son, that we be more like Jesus. That the patience that you prayed for but has eluded you will be yours. That the humility and the meekness that eludes you at times will be yours. That the love that you wish that you could exude will be yours. We will be more like Him. We'll be made like Jesus. We'll be the f- He's the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. He was the first fruits. He was the first of his kind. And we will be like him. And so what does that mean? That if God has a plan to make me more like his son, and I've missed the boat on that. I've missed it. Like, I really thought it was for me to be a better person and for me to be a better version of myself. If I hear one more person say that, I'm going to scream at the top of my lungs. Please don't ever say that. I just want to be a better version of myself. We don't want a better version of you. You have a bad attitude. We don't want a better version of a bad attitude. You're mean. We don't want a better version of your meanness. You're impatient. We don't want a better version of your impatience. No, we want you to be more like Jesus. And this is what God is doing in us through the work of the Holy Spirit. He is making us more like his son. He's using our trials, our sufferings, To make us more like his son. But he has called us. And what is our response to that call? Our response is to hear the call and turn to repentance. God has a plan and a purpose for your life, but that plan and purpose is predicated on our response to the work of his son. That if we recognize that Jesus died on that cross and suffered and bled for our sins, He died for us in our place, took on the punishment that we deserve so that we could go free. Yet he got out of that grave on the third day and rose with all power, overcoming sin and death. If we put our faith and our trust in him, there's a promise not of just forgiveness, but of eternal life. In the sufferings of the present time, then, not be worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. If Christians are the most hopeful people in the world or should be the most hopeful people in the world people outside of Christ really have no hope. Becoming more popular becoming the person that you want to be in your career becoming as rich as you want to be, becoming as healthy as you want to be. That's not God's end goal. God's end goal is for us to be more like his son Jesus. God's end goal is not more concerned about your external trappings. It is more concerned with what's going on in your heart. And so we have a responsibility that if we've been off course, if we as even as Christians have been, not hopeful in our approach to life and we've suffered and we have not suffered well, this is a call for us to repent and turn and trust Jesus and place our hope in him. The sure thing that promises that this is but a light momentary affliction. That it does not compare to the eternal weight of glory that is going to come. And so I want to challenge you this morning to not just see things as they are, but, but our hope is, our faith is based in the unseen. For faith is the, not the substance of things hoped, it's the substance of things hoped for in the evidence of things what? Not seen. This is the basis of our hope. That we wait with expectation, that we can suffer well, that we can anticipate. The goodness of God, that everything that we experience in this life, sickness, disease, disappointment, being broke, being hungry, being poor, being homeless, all of those things are serving a purpose in God's economy. The purpose that they're serving is to make us more like Jesus. But the challenge for you this morning is to have the right perspective on your suffering. And know this, we can be hopeful in all seasons. Let us pray. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If it was a blessing to you, please consider visiting our website, outpouringorlando.com, to connect with us and to also give financial support. If you are ever in the Orlando area, we would love to serve and worship with you. Have a wonderful week.